Good morning, York University. I'm, I'm one of those people that get to say, I went to York when it was a college. Um, now it's a university. Thanks for having me on campus for a couple of days. Uh, I'm here with a couple other folks to talk about graduate theological education. I know that's a, a big term. Uh, what it means is this, if you want to live a life that makes the world better, that participates in the healing and mending of things that are broken, if you want people to help understand themselves better, help communities flourish, to make the world a more just and flourishing place, uh, then what we're doing is for you. And I hope you'll take some time to talk with us about it over the next couple of days. I'll be around. Um, that's, that's a lot. Um, but the truth is, I do all of that in my dogs, a basset hound and a miniature Dotson. They still don't listen to me. Um, I would trade all of it just to get my dogs to go outside when I tell them to go outside. Um, it tells you a little bit about, about things. Um, but no, we'll be here for a couple of days, and I'm, I'm grateful for the time I get to spend with you. Come over, say hello. I'll be in a couple of classes around. Uh, I think we'll be at the basketball game tonight. Um, so looking forward uh, to that. Um, would you pray with me as we, as we get started this morning? Let's pray together. Our holy and gracious God, you, O Lord, who are before all things and in whom all things hold together. You have gathered us this day, O God, and you have given us good work to do. And so we pray, O God, that we would be attentive to you at this time and for the rest of the day, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see how you are moving among us and how you are calling us to be your people. We pray all of these things in the name of the one who is our way and our truth and our life. Amen. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here of all places? It's the question we all ask. We all ask it because it's actually a really, really important question to answer. We, we hate the idea that we're just kind of taking up space. We, we want to live lives that have meaning, that have purpose, that, that, well, that mean something. We desperately want not just to be relevant, that's, that's actually kind of a shallow thing. We don't just want to be relevant, we want lives of, well, significance and meaning. We want lives that matter. And it just so happens that we're asking that question, we're seeking lives that matter in a time when we long ago gave up the idea that meaning and purpose were things that were given to us, we now think that meaning and purpose are things that we construct, that we choose, that through the proper amount of choices, the way we organize our lives, we can choose our way into a life of purpose and meaning. So you're here and you're choosing a major because you think that will give your life purpose. Later on, maybe you'll choose a spouse, you'll choose to start a family, you'll choose a career, and if you get to the end of all those choices and you're still not quite happy, you still don't feel uniquely fulfilled, well, you'll, 
you'll choose again. Maybe you'll switch fields. Maybe you'll go back to school for another degree. Maybe you'll do some kind of training thinking that if you can just choose the right number of things, if you can get the right combination in place that you just might, well, you might find the combination to unlock this thing called significance and purpose that you're chasing. But can I let you in on a secret? And I know this is kind of a risk because I'm a guest speaker. You don't really know me. We just met. So this is kind of a risky thing to say, but I'll I'll say it anyway. If the reason you're here is because you think if you find the right career or if you choose the right major that then gets you enough money or success that you can climb a professional ladder, if, if you're If that was your answer to why you're here, then maybe you haven't quite thought enough about that. I know that's a risky thing to say because we just met, but maybe if, if that's your response, then maybe you haven't actually thought long enough and hard enough about that. Because here's the truth that, well, maybe sometimes we can only hear from someone who's a stranger to us, is that there is there is no degree you can get There's no bachelor's you can obtain. There's no career you can pursue that is is worthy enough to hold the meaning of your life. It simply does not exist. It's not out there. There is no salary that is large enough to hold the meaning of your life. I'm pretty sure I heard a guy once tell a parable about this person who built bigger barns and how the barn was never actually big enough. I'm pretty sure someone said that. One time. And that's because our, the purpose of our lives, the, the why you're here, well, that's not something you build on your own. That's something that you, well, you receive it like you receive a gift. You receive it like you receive the love of someone who matters most to you in the world. Or when you have kids, the way you receive the birth of a child. Or the way you receive anything in your life that actually matters to you and you realize those are not actually things you earned or chose your way into. You just sort of woke up one morning and and found that they were there. They're, They're gifts we receive. And that's the why, the purpose, the significance that we find is not something we choose our way into. It's It's a gift that is given to us. So Paul, a guy who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, right? And he's got this this really interesting verse in Ephesians. In in the second chapter of that letter, I think it's verse 9, where he says, "We, we are what God has created us to be, created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's this really interesting line that Paul says that We, you, me, we've been created by God for good works. But it's sort of a bad cliffhanger because he doesn't actually specify what good works are. He just sort of leaves it at that. We were created, we are what God's created us to be, created in Christ for good works. But if you you keep reading in Ephesians and you go on to chapter 3, What you learn is this God who has created us, who has created us for these good works, this God is, well, this God is all about mending. This God is 
taking these two groups of people who before would have never considered life with one another a possibility, and God puts them together. God takes people who were estranged and and alienated in themselves and, and from God, who were so confused about who they were and they were so broken and flawed and And God mends and God restores them and gives them meaning and purpose. At at every point along the way, the God that Paul talks about, the God who has destined you and me for good works, is this God that is determined to mend things that are broken, to take things that are ripped apart and to stitch them back together again to mend and create wholeness and flourishing and life where there was only, well, where there was only death and chaos. I don't know, maybe this is just me. Again, I'm a stranger, so you can all tell me if this is crazy or not, but I can't help but wonder if that's the good works you and I are destined for, for which God has created us as to be people who participate in the mending that God is about in the world. To look around our world at the places that are deeply broken, that are deeply troubled, that are deeply languishing, and to be people who who move into those spaces and participate in the mending and in the healing and in the reconciling and in the forgiving and in the flourishing that God desires for all that God has created and called good. Could it be that the purpose for which we are created was, well, to live as menders in a world that's torn and is in desperate need of of healing? And if that's true, then I guess maybe the challenge is to be people who learn how to see be people who learn how to see. So uh, down at the Graduate School of Theology, the GST, uh, people ask me sometimes what I do. My oldest daughter is five, and she's become very, very curious about what it is dad does on campus. Uh, I've explained it as best I can. She still doesn't get it. I still don't understand it most of the time. But if you were to ask me, Mason, what is it you do? And I would say I I think I spend most of my time helping students, helping the people who come to study with us. I think my my job is to help them to learn how to see. To how to see what God is up to in the world. And how to see how their unique gifts, their unique skills, their unique passions, the things they care deeply about, the things that energize them, that wake them up in the morning and that send them out to see how all of those things align with the mending that God is already doing. My job is to help them to see, well, God and to see everything that exists in its relatedness to God and to see how they can participate and how they can stitch their own seem into the great healing work that God is doing. I like to think that's what Paul calls having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So we're about seeing, and we're about mending, and about healing.
I don't know, but that seems like incredibly good work that you and I are called to participate in. So I also teach preaching uh, in the GST, and what I always tell my students in the preaching course is that a good sermon becomes bad when it goes long, but a bad sermon can become good if it's short. So I'll take my own advice, and I'll wrap up. So uh, thank you all. Again, come, come see me, talk to me. Again, I'm looking forward to the next couple of days. Thank you so much.